0: Good morning, sadly. um, The recording didn't work for this sermon, and so here we are in the church office re-recording. I'm reading from Mark uh, chapter 4 and verse 35 through to 5 and verse 20. Mark 4 verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about two thousand in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Fear, it seems to me, is something that unites us all, if we're really honest, and yet it's something that divides us too, because the things that make us afraid will differ wildly. And I'm not so much talking about spiders, or zombies, or heights, or or those kinds of things, those kinds of phobias, but more missing that deadline, or failing the exam, not having enough money, or being sacked, or illness, or death or being rejected by friends that we love, or being out of control in life. So the news, for example, is interesting. I've been forming Christmas talks in my mind, mentally writing them as I cycle around Oxford, and thinking about this last year, and how the 10 o'clock news especially has portrayed that information for us. It's, It's been striking. You've got a thing on ISIS and beheadings and Syria and Iraq, and then another former DJ or TV celebrity is pulled up for some sex scandal from years gone by. And then the economy and the level of debt in the UK. And and then local news in this patch in Oxford, in East Oxford. Think the recent sting on sex trafficking on the Cowley Road at the hotel there. Just a couple of hundred metres away from us. Or various local people around these streets murdered this last year. Connor Tremble on Fairacres Road or Jaden Parkinson leaving the Ifley Road. But then, then what do you get at the end? You get something quirky and fun and light, something on, on local hedgehogs or, or cute kids raising money for charity. Half an hour of real stuff, gut-wrenching, stuff to make you cry as far as the newsroom has been prepared to report it. But then, to help us cope with that? Well, essentially, it's escapism. I've got nothing against hedgehogs or cute children or raising money for charity. That is how they help us to cope with the bad news, with our fears. I suspect if we're honest, it's true in different ways for all of us, isn't it? Something to forget life something to forget the the fears, the messiness of life, to help us cope with it. Isn't that how we get through so often? And yet what we'll see in this little section of Mark is that Jesus is bigger than our fears. He has authority to deal with a broken world. And yet that's not just off there somewhere, somewhere in the future when it'll all be better. But pie in the sky when you die, there's an authority that Jesus has now. His authority makes a difference now. He brings order to the chaos now. Over these next two weeks in this little section of Mark, we've got four little cameos that show us that. Four little stories from Mark. This week we'll see Jesus bigger in two ways. Bigger than the things we can't control. He's bigger than the storm as he calms the sea. But also we'll see he's bigger than evil as he deals with and he defeats legion. As he defeats the demons. Next time we'll encounter sickness and death and we'll see that he is bigger than them too. Did you notice these are all symptoms of the broken world? All symptoms of our alienation from God. A chaotic creation out of kilter with its creator. The the reality of evil and demon possession. Sickness and brokenness. Death and mourning. And so as Jesus deals with them, as we see his authority, so once again Mark is painting for us a clearer and clearer picture of the identity of God's King. The power that he has. Of the one come to deal with the broken world and the symptoms of our alienation from God. But also the one come to deal with the reason for our alienation. Come to deal with sin. And so, do you see, he is the king that God promised, but his identity is more than simply being a man. We've we've seen that numerous times over the weeks. Jesus does the kind of stuff that God does. Jesus has authority now to deal with our fears. And yet what's striking in these two accounts for today... It's the way that people react to Jesus' power, because they are frankly terrified. What's striking is, rather than fearing their fears, they end up fearing him. Let's have a look at them together. So, first point then, Jesus is bigger than the storm. The story so far is that God's king is on the scene, and for the last couple of weeks, as we saw with Charlie... He's been teaching. He's been teaching people through parables, but now the narrative changes. So pick it up from verse 35 with me. Have a look down. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boats. There were also other boats with them. Now, as a family over half term back in October, we we ended up at a boating lake and it was all fairly fun. Not a little cold. There we were on leg-powered pedalos, cycling for all we're worth. Buckets of water in the pedalos with us. It was in a small, enclosed, sanitised, safe lake. There would be the odd bump or jostle with other boats, as the children thought it would be funny to charge into your boat. And easily in our minds, or at least in my mind, at least that that's what's going on here. We we miss the scale of the thing, but. Lake Galilee was much more like the Sea of Galilee as it was sometimes called because it was when well, it was about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide it was huge and yet because it was 700 feet below sea level in a massive basin next to large mountains but was relatively shallow itself this makes the perfect storm what happens is that the cold air above up high from the mountains hits the warm air below by the water and and huge squalls suddenly stir up dangerous storms this is-this is no boating lake, and yet these men are not wusses. You remember chapter one They're fishermen they're, they're not fly fishermen who just stand on the edge with rods. These are burly fishermen who could cope. No doubt they had been through more squalls than we've had hot dinners. Think deep-sea fishermen, strong, brave. But even for them, this is unusual. This is not normal. It's too much that they're terrified. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boats, so that it was nearly swamps. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, so much for all your teaching on the kingdom of God, so much for mustard seeds and soils, can't you see we're going to drown don't you care you see they'd lost hope I, w- I wonder if I wonder if the way that they approached him shows something of their problem do you see what they call him they call him teacher maybe in their minds that was what he was still he was just a religious teacher so many for people in our society Jesus is Well, if he existed, he said some interesting stuff, admirable stuff even. He was a teacher, a great ethical teacher. He had some interesting and timeless parables. He was able to engage with the common man. He had thoughtful insights on God. And yet when the rubber hits the road, he's just a religious teacher. He can't really help with the things that we can't control. He can't really help with the reality of the storms of life. He's just a teacher in their mind. When it gets really messy, then we need to get on, on to help ourselves. Maybe. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they were expecting as they woke him. Maybe to get him to try and help them keep the boat afloat. Maybe to paddle. I didn't think they were expecting what happens next. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And you think, you think they might at least be a bit relieved, a, a bit thankful. But they're not thankful. They're terrified. You see, the sea was terrifying, but Jesus was more terrifying they they just get a glimpse, perhaps, that teacher is the wrong category for him. He, he doesn't pray to God, he just speaks. His words have power. Jesus is bigger than the storm. Jesus is bigger than the kinds of things that no man can control. In their minds, I think it there are passages and passages and passages in the Old Testament that speak of the control of the elements, the control of the chaotic sea, and the fact that that is God's territory. That is what he does. It's part of his job description, not man's. Just an example, Psalm 107. For God spoke and stood up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, They were at their wits end and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds. Who has his hand over the natural world? The Lord does. Who speaks and storms a calmed? The Lord does. Did you notice as well, because of Jesus, they now have a future? Five minutes before, everything looked as if it was going to finish. Everything looked hopeless. It looked like game over. But now life goes on. One friend of mine put it very helpfully like this. He said, the reason Jesus is terrifying is the reason that they have a hope. You see, it's because he is the one who has power, because he is in control. And so maybe, maybe his teaching on the kingdom is worth listening to. Maybe Jesus speaks with authority. Maybe we can trust him. Maybe he can give us a future. Friends, don't fear the storm. Don't fear the things that you can't control because because we have one who can. Friends, fear him rather than them. I I don't know what those things are for you. Don't know how life is. Or often it's the future, or often it's a, a certain circumstance or a situation. But sometimes Jesus comes to us and says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Of course, one of the really helpful applications from a passage like this is simply this, is that we don't need to control things. One of the common outworkers of fear is that often people become manipulators, wanting to control people or circumstances or situations. But, but remember from a while ago, we, if we can't cope with the what-ifs, then remember what is. It's not about the what-ifs. It's not about the scenarios that we play through in our minds. What if this happens? What if that happens? No, remember what is. Remember that Jesus is bigger than our fears. Remember that we can have certainty and clarity. And that we can trust him. So first one then, Jesus is bigger than the storm. Second, Jesus is bigger than evil. The second show of authority happens on the other side of the lake not explicit but it's probably night time see in 435 it was evening which which makes for quite a scary encounter as we come up against legion once again the outcome of this encounter is is order from chaos and once again it results in fear Do you see that from verse 15 when the when they came to jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. You might think that this show of power the transformation of this man have brought praise but instead it brings fear and they plead with him to go. Maybe rightly they are terrified by the kind of power that can deal with demonic power and this man has been utterly transformed, hasn't he? The legion is completely different. Look at him before and then compare that with after. Firstly, you see he's, he's made his home among the tombs, verses 1 and 2. He, he lives among dead bodies. There's an antisocial nature to him. He lives away from people. In fact, he's at home amongst dead people. Secondly, you see, there's an extraordinary, unnatural strength that he has. Verse 4, he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And with that comes a torment and a self-harm, verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Mark's already told us. But it becomes clear where this strange behaviour, this anguish, this strength comes from. And once again, like a magnet, demons are attracted to Jesus. And so legion, as he's called, speaks, or or better, the spirit within him speaks. The spirits within him speak. The enemies of Jesus know who he is. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. But Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. We find there are many. It's not just one. Verse 9, My name is Legion, he replied. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him, send them out of the area. You see, the final symptom that something's not right with this man is that the change in his personality that we see. He, he, he speaks, and yet it's not him speaking. And so, verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. I wonder what, what are we to make of this man, this, this encounter? To our civilised, rational, western ears, this of course sounds naive and primitive. Are we really ready to take it seriously? Perhaps we're meant to read it more like a story or a metaphor. This man was obviously a troubled soul, excluded from society, and Jesus came and sorted him out. Maybe that's what's going on, is that simply it? I don't think that works. Mark was not a primitive, naive author. Easily we think of folk like that, a little bit gullible, people from the past overly trusting and of course we've grown past that haven't we this is a no. this was a highly sophisticated civilization within Jesus' group there were clever, educated people. this was ext- as extraordinary to them as it would have been to us. To be honest, we need to be clear here we are something of a minority in this. look globally and you will find belief in the supernatural to be far more common. I've got friends whom I trust who have had first hand encounters with this kind of stuff. They've seen it, they've been involved. And again, look down the annals of history, and again, you'll find belief in the supernatural to be far more prevalent. And to be honest, there will be many within this city, within East Oxford, many in our country who will know something of the reality of that. What amazed many is that whilst rationalist humanism has grown, so of those seeking after something supernatural, seeking after the spiritual. It's been in the news these past couple of weeks. That off the back of the film Ouija, sales of Ouija boards are up 300% this Christmas. Largely because the toy manufacturer Hasbro has started making them and distributing them. Closer to home, the inner bookshop is just next to the Magic Cafe up on Maudlin Road. Has just recently closed, but but I suspect that's more to do with online booksellers sellers and the nature of the books they were selling. No belief in the supernatural is all around us. C.S. Lewis, famously writing in the Screw Tape Letters, a letter from a junior to a senior devil says this. He says, I. I don't think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help us. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's, it's an old textbook method of confusing them, Well, he can't believe in you. Do you see... The reality of the devil or of evil is never glossed over in the pages of the Bible. It, in a sense, we're told very little about him, but but we're told enough. and We're told how to deal with him. And we very clearly see here that Jesus is bigger. The other problem, of course, in our culture is that we all feel sorry for the pigs now. Cruelty to animals and that sort of thing is... Is a buzzword, and so I. But I wonder if that's just a smoke stream, for some, and not wanting to deal with what this is really about—the reality of the power of Jesus. He is bigger than evil. Fear him more than you fear evil. But again, don't miss how it ends. I love this. Just in passing, it's so vital for us to grasp. Verse 18 as Jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him but said go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. You see he wants to come and join the crew but, but he has to stay to stay where he is and to be a walking talking visible transformed person a, A testimony to the power of Jesus. You can imagine the whole town talking about him, can't you? Isn't that the guy who used to live in the tombs and cut himself and shriek at us? Sometimes he had different voices. Remember, we we couldn't chain him. No, it it couldn't be him. It, It looks like him. Maybe it is him. And they're amazed. striking thing for me just in this last little bit and i say this carefully and of course there are caveats and there's a context to it but sometimes sometimes it is not right to be with jesus sometimes we need to be in the world to show the world his power and his might and his goodness maybe that's something for, for us to chew on and think about What might that mean for us? What might that mean for the decisions that we make as to how we spend our time? Maybe it's in letting your life be visible, deliberately, intentionally. For us as a church, it's one of the reasons we try and keep midweek meetings rare, to a minimum. Because we want people to be making friendships. We want people to, to be rubbing up against real people in the world. So that they might see how extraordinary Jesus is. As we finish though the first half of these verses, of this little section. Let me ask you that question again that we began with. What do you fear? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that gives you that sinking feeling in your stomach? That you can't get out of your mind? That feels like a... A weight upon you. What is it perhaps that, that you find you use escapism trips. So that you don't have to get engage with it. To help you forget it. Well I take it these verses show us that Jesus is bigger. Remember that. Remember that we need to fear him more. Than we fear that thing. These verses show us that he has the power to deal with it, to utterly transform the situation, to bring order out of chaos.